Hello, and welcome to the season three premiere of They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me, I've got Liam. Hello. And Mitch. <laughs> Good evening, or whatever time it is when you're listening. <laughs> the gang's all here. Season three is upon us. We have not been blighted by the William Castle film genero because as a matter of fact, we are sticking to tradition on this episode. We're doing the usual. And if you looked back at our previous season premieres, you wouldn't see a usual, but trust us. So the first episode that Liam and I ever recorded of this show was on Texas Chainsaw 3d right they took the massacre out of the title i think that's right they yeah. took the massacre out i think they took the the out which a few of the movies might have done i, yeah, I, I they, always they, try to remember that they took the the they took the massacre uh they put in a three and then they slipped in the d they mm. did what a way to start season three of this show by doing exactly that um and no, we don't got any d in this one no <laughs> i mean sure that's fine <laughs> um well, that was the first episode we ever recorded, but it's not the first episode we ever put out. We we ended up putting out a Hellraiser episode first, but season two rolled around and we were like, oh, let's do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. So we did Texas Chainsaw Massacre the next generation. And season three is here, starting the third year of the show and figured why not go back to that well. It's maybe not the most obscure of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres available, but it is certainly an iconic one. It is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 from 1986. Toby Hooper again. Gang's all here from Canon Films. You know them, you love them. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot to get to here, but something that we haven't gotten to in our previous two Texas Chainsaw Massacre episodes uh, is Mitch's thoughts on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. I don't think that's something we've really addressed yet. I don't know why we would have. So, Mitch, where are you at with this? What's well, the deal? I mean, I've, I haven't seen too many of them. I think I've seen, I think I've maybe seen like three of the films in total. I've seen this one twice, actually. It's my second, my second time around the block with this one. And then I've seen the original a few times. And then I saw some other one. I don't even know which one it was, but I saw it when I was way too young. Mm, I guess we'll get to it eventually, <laughs> and that'll make for a good episode. Some repressed memories yeah. are going to come um, up. But my thoughts on the franchise, otherwise, I mean, I don't really love it. Like, I don't, I don't love seeing people like being terrified with, you know, dismemberment, dismemberment by a chainsaw. I don't really, I don't really love the Texas Chainsaw movies. I know that they're beloved by many people, but I, I don't like go crazy for them. I think they're like they're okay. I, I don't have any like any horse in this race really. I'm not I'm not really into them or anything. So when you go and you see the first one then is it like too much that first movie or if it cuz if you're being turned off by like the visceral yeah, it's the kind nature of, of it then that's probably a lot. They're kind of a bit too visceral for me, I guess, maybe. Um but also like I mean the the first one like it is like it's much more tame than you think it is like i was i remember watching it and being like oh this is not nearly as bad as i thought but and i saw it when i was pretty young but um i just don't like it's just not like the kind of movie that i really love i don't like watching uh <laughs> i don't know a lot of like terror on the screen it's just not yeah. my vibe 
I guess like yeah, you, we've sort of covered off this podcast like horror quota, and uh, you would sort of be like the the uh, not the exception to the rule when it comes to this show, but like I guess a little bit uh, in terms of preferences. But uh, I think everybody kind of knows where Liam and I are at with this series. I too have only seen a couple of these. Well, I guess I've seen more of them. I've seen half of them. Yeah, but that's and, and because you, of this show. And you've got a big update because last time we did a Texas Chainsaw movie, which was The Next Generation, uh, you hadn't seen the original, but you've since done that, right? Oh, yeah. Did I not talk about that? No, oh, shit. I, you might have brought it up in the at the beginning of a random episode, but def- you hadn't seen it by that episode, so. Right. Uh, well, I don't have all of my uh, my thoughts organized on the first movie, but I'll just go ahead and say it. it's it's exceptionally good um it's one of those things where you see it for the first time and you wonder how you had been able to go that long without seeing it and it feels like one of those things that's just like always been there and will always be there and it's just a really gruesome upsetting kind of experience um so i've seen the first one i've now seen the second one i've seen next generation and 3d uh so i guess all that i've really got left over are like the leftovers of the yeah, series we're just gonna keep checking them off as we as we get to our season premieres yeah well and there's another one in the pipeline so there's only eight now but by the time we get there there might be nine that's what i'm thinking i th- I think i think by the time we do our next premiere it'll be out so we'll have to decide if we're gonna jump ahead or not yeah but yeah i think uh i am generally a fan in that two of the ones that i've seen are like some of my not maybe not some of my favorite movies but movies that i can recognize as being exceptional for different reasons and then texas chainsaw 3d is kind of the and then the jury's still out in this one are you holding i mean we're about to talk about it okay i'm not gonna say it now gotcha we got set up to do still (laughs) and liam obviously you're pretty familiar yeah, I mean, my thoughts on these movies need no introduction. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? I came to them pretty late too. At least a full a full watch late. Like when when I was a kid, and uh, YouTube was more like MySpace, and you could like list your favorite movies on your profile, and you could like friend request people and message them and stuff. I know that. I had listed the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre as one of my favorite movies. Now, I don't recall having watched it back then. If I did, it was likely just in clips on YouTube because it certainly never played on TV. I didn't have the DVD. Um, but I, I did some watch some movies like that back then. Like I shared a status update uh, with Corey a couple weeks ago that I had found while mining my Facebook posts from the last decade and a half and and deleting a lot of them because they're terrible but one of them from like 2009 2010 the status update is watching cannibal holocaust and eating doritos or something so um i spent a lot of time doing watching like exploitation films uh as a kid so i might have seen texas chainsaw but i don't have a distinct memory of it just like i don't have a distinct memory of watching cannibal holocaust back then um 
So when I really came to Texas Chainsaw Massacre was probably four years ago or so. It it just really occurred to me that, hey, you know what? I Even if I have seen this movie, I feel like I haven't seen it. Sort of like the later Harry Potter films for a long time where I was like, I think I've seen those movies. But if I did, they've kind of gone out of my brain and got lost in the shuffle. And um, a lot of movies are like that. For me, apparently, I, I like to think I keep a good track of the movies I watch, but I got informed by my best friend from high school that I went to see the final Harry Potter movie with him in the theaters, and I, I thought that I'd never seen that movie before. And I, over the last decade, I've been like lamenting that I never saw the last Harry Potter movie in theaters, and apparently I did, so I don't know if I should be more <laughs> disappointed now knowing that I did see it and I forgot, but... Uh, so yeah, I watched Texas Chainsaw about four summers ago. Um, it was in summer, late at night. I pulled it up on my TV while I was visiting my childhood home uh, in between semesters at university. And holy moly, it really scared me. It, it scared me a whole lot. Um, just like the the griminess of it all, the, the sweat of it. Um, and it's... I mean, like Mitch said, it doesn't actually live up to the images you might conjure in your brain when you read a title like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think uh, that that title has done it a lot of favors, but has also, uh, you know, because it's given it like notoriety, but it's also setting people up for a movie that it isn't quite. Uh, and I think people might think it's a different movie than. Um, than it actually is and so they might get turned off of it without even watching it or like in brianna's case uh my partner i watched the movie with her uh early this year and she really liked it but she was actually disappointed in it because she thought that it would be like more slash gore on screen and it wasn't and and that sort of disappointed her but um i was really blown away by it because it it was more along the lines of like the original Halloween, but still very scary. I think it's much scarier than the original Halloween movie. And uh, from there, after being so impressed by it, I pretty quickly watched the second one. Um, I'll talk about how I felt about that in a, in a little bit. And uh, then I ended up watching Next Generation, which we've covered. Um, and I've seen a few more of them. I guess I'll, we'll get to those uh when we get to those episodes but um yeah i really i really really love that original texas chainsaw massacre i've seen it a few times now showing it to people or just re-watching it myself i think it's really scary brilliantly brilliantly acted um brilliantly directed as well i mean it just feels so real and uh i love i love road movies i love summer movies and um I, I just think it's it's really it's one of the greatest horror movies it it might be one of my favorites you know i'd have to make a list it, it, it's definitely up there but i think if you were to poll you know a hundred horror fans and just say what do you think the best horror movie is setting aside your favorite what's the best horror movie i found that most people say texas chainsaw massacre you know it's either that or the thing are, are two really common ones so um uh, I agree with that. I think it's it's awesome that first one. Nice, yeah. So, no n more natural step to take than to head over to the second one, which came out a good twelve years later, which is usually a bad sign um, in a lot of series. But uh, you know, Toby Hooper's in the mix. Um, it's got 
Canon Films on production, as <laughs> mentioned, with Yoram Globus and Menahem Golan. So and, what what is the significance of Canon Films? I don't know that. Oh, what an honor. Um, <laughs> so Canon, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think the easiest way to describe Canon Films is that they have a very specific feel and you're you're basically thinking like either slightly under budgeted or perfectly budgeted like really off the rails kind of action movies is what i think of when i hear canon um like death wish sequels a bunch of chuck norris movies yeah a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s yeah um they did later get into some like sci-fi shit like i know robotech was a canon movie um so there's a very specific feel that comes with uh canon movies they did another toby hooper movie actually life force yeah Um, and and they also did um i think it's like a body snatcher movie or something because they made a three movie deal with him to do this one and they said you can do you can have carte blanche on your other two movies as long as you do a sequel to texas chainsaw massacre yeah also mitch um, I'm sure you knew this already, but it's worth noting that there is a a Cassavetes movie in the mix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With with uh with Canon, sure. I mean, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. I mean, I know that they have like some Oscar noms and like they've they've got around and they've they've it's been like it's kind of been like what like um like Roger Corman was to a lot of young like producers yes, and yeah. directors. That kind of a lot of people came out of that out of that sort of uh, you know st- the phrase. Studio. Liam, Electric Boogaloo. Have you heard that before on the internet? Yeah, I mean, we've probably made a couple of those jokes on the podcast before, but I don't, so, I don't even really know the origin. So this, I don't know the origin is either, but it's worth saying that there's a documentary about Canon Films from 2014 called Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Wow. Maybe it came from there. I don't know. But anyway, that's kind of their bag. Um, this... I wouldn't think of this as a canon film if somebody just told me the title, but it's always fun seeing their logo pop up. They very much have like a house style. I think this movie eschews that a little bit, but not entirely. Uh, Uh, Yeah. I do wonder why they were the ones to ask for the Texas Chainsaw sequel or... If many, many companies were asking, I don't know if they were, well, um, why Toby said yes to them if they were doing a lot of like yeah. sci-fi stuff. Why is it they were well, the ones to do the horror, big horror sequel? They were doing a lot of action stuff, but they're pretty genre diverse. I think it's more just like what they're known for is yeah. like bottom of the barrel. As they did Wikipedia a lot. So like, kindly they, puts it. They did a lot too. Like they, I mean, they had like, like Zeffirelli do like a tello. They had, I think Norman Mailer directed a few movies for them. So they kind of like went out yeah, on tough like guys a, don't dance. Yeah. Norman Mailer, not a, not a good guy we like anyway. Um, but they also did Rambo first blood part, part two, which is kind of interesting because there's a Rambo name drop in this movie. Yeah. They, they, they're pretty diverse. Um, also, I'm willing to bet that they had money and they were willing to give Toby Hooper space to make whatever. It is worth noting they were expecting a horror movie uh, that I think was a bit more straightforward than this. So I don't think they were thrilled with it when he was done. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, it's always a fun time to see Canon show up. Canon uh, is a canon 
that I'd, I'd like to check out more of just to get a better feel for it. I will say that one time on an overnight shift at work, working in a radio station, no less, um, I did watch the entirety of the Chuck Norris film Invasion USA because there was a couple TVs in that room and the channel that one of the TVs was set to had that movie come on. So I just watched it in full. <laughs> That's awesome. There's like cable hooked up to that TV. Yeah, I... uh the company i work for also does television that is i'll put it that way that's so cool that like you could just get that experience of a random movie coming on and you watch it i miss those days yeah um and that's sort of what the genero does to us now and then you remember sometimes well you don't necessarily miss those days yeah you can always count on the French channels for having the best shit on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> cer- certainly the sexiest shit. Definitely. Totally. Yeah, which this uh, is not. I would not describe the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 as the sexy shit. No, definitely um, not. Some pretty upsetting stuff going on with a chainsaw, as I guess would be expected. Um, <laughs> There's some massacring with that chainsaw. <laughs> but so, yeah, so this movie is. It starts with two college kids high schoolers oh my goodness with insufferable sort of like squeeze box their duels uh, yeah and sort of uh like what do you call it like a like a fair isle like bright yellow sweater awful yeah anyway uh they're out shooting shit and causing a ruckus and they draw the ire of <laughs> uh a blue truck with an american flag on the back which is never good and uh there they set up stretch who is a dj at k K okla which is like a rock station in this area that they're in all of this is framed around the upcoming texas and oklahoma i think oklahoma texas football game um and so later on this drive with these two i'm just gonna say teens for the sake of simplicity um leatherface is in the back of this truck with a big big chainsaw and he cuts up in, in a disguise. Car, in a dis- in a disguise for some reason. A human yeah, we, we don't know it's disguise. You don't know it's Leatherface for a while. You think, hey, who's who's that? Who's, who's that guy, guy with, with that big chainsaw? With that big chainsaw. Several layers of disguise. And uh, Scooby Doo villain. Aren't we all under several layers of disguise? If you really think about it. Um, and so they call into the radio station to fuck with Stretch. And as they call in and don't hang up because they're tying up the line. Uh, she hears them get viciously murdered. Enter Dennis Hopper, who is Lefty Enright, who is the uncle of Sally and Franklin from the first movie. And he is convinced that some shit remains afoot and is sort of getting laughed off by other cops and shit. And he gets in touch with stretch who is convinced that she can help because she has a tape and they don't really totally get along at first but eventually things sort of draw together and uh the third plot to track is the sawyer family because the the current patriarch is winning a lot of chili cook-offs because they're really good meat and uh they catch wind that stretch um has audio of that because she has been playing it on the radio at lefty's behest and uh then, then shit breaks bad. Then they go to an underground carnival uh, 
death meat packing facility. Then they go to an underground carnival death meat packing facility, and Dennis Hopper just cackles maniacally to himself while triple wielding chainsaws and destroying. Everything. I mean, why why you wouldn't take a twelve gauge in your position is beyond me. I mean, it'd probably be better off, but you know, whatever you, you do, this you is Dennis. This uh, iconic for happening thirty two years, I think thirty three years before the iconic Mandy chainsaw duel. We got this. Dennis Hopper and Leatherface. This movie walked so that Nicolas Cage could could run. Ca- could fight that dude with so, that big ass chainsaw. So Liam, what do you think? Look how they massacred my boy or like uh is it Are we we're getting into this? We're here. Well oh I'm, I'm I wanna know what he thinks. I wanna know okay, what we're here. He... Am I am I moving too quickly? No, we're here. Right. Let's go. I'll give it to you straight, Mitch. I love this movie. Of course you love I this I fucking movie. knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it big time. I, I've loved it since the first time I watched it. Um, I, let's, I'll, I'll put the first one aside like f- for a second. It's not, it's not necessary to enjoy this one, but I don't want to say like, I don't want to get into whether I like it more than the first one or anything like that right now. But um, yeah, I really like it. I just, I just love how wacky it is. I love how gross it is. Um, I really like the performances in it, like Carolyn Williams' stretch. I mean, she is just that she has terror in her eyes and she's screaming all the way through. And so I really feel that. So I, I think it's a scary, scary movie. Um, there's some scenes in here that are truly just like right up there with the first one in terms of unsettling, nightmarish material. Um, but I think this movie. Uh, its main purpose is to for Toby Hooper to sort of take the power back that I I feel like he he thinks he lost after putting out the first one and having it be taken so seriously because I know that he saw that movie as more of a black comedy and people weren't taking it that way and so when uh, I guess Canon Pictures asked him to do this sequel uh gave him some money for it i'm I'm sure they didn't give him any directions like you said Corey. they they thought they would be getting a more straight up horror movie but i think after 13 years this dude has a lot uh less to lose and has like a really big statement to make um and so he just decides to lean even farther into the comedy aspect but i think this movie is fascinating in that it it has comedy and straight up horror like mixed together in a more unsettling harder to parse way than any horror comedy i can think of like most horror comedies you get a scare and then a joke um and repeat repeat but this one it's like the you're like laughing but also disgusted at the same time and uh you don't really know which you're supposed to be feeling um at any given time and so i just think it's a really really interesting movie um i i'll concede that this being my i think fourth time watching it i haven't loved it more and more every time i really really loved it the first time i saw it and um I loved it the second time I saw it and 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 this time I I 
was locking into some like issues with the script on just like a logical level more than I would have liked to. That might be because I was watching it with Brianna and she's a big like call out at the screen like uh, uh, this is so dumb kind of thing. And she's pointing these things out to me. And so I'm, I'm thinking about them. And also just because the movie is such a big swing and there there's so much going on tonally it's really like a mood movie i think you got to be in the mood to watch this film and uh because of the type of types of movies i tend to watch i'm probably in this mood really often uh but this time around i just i wasn't maybe all the way in the mood um and so I didn't come away thinking it was a, a 10 out of 10. And that might just be because of uh, um, the script problems or just because like it is just so disgusting. And maybe that's not quite what I was in the mood for. But I respect this movie so much. And I've watched it more than the original because I think it's super rewatchable. I mean as that first one is also probably a mood movie where like you got to be in the mood to really go to the the serious depths of texas and uh this one is like is is more fun but i also think it's grosser and so it's it's a really fascinating movie and i'm so interested to hear what you guys think about it but but all in all i, I really really do love this movie and I'll, I'll watch it many more times throughout my life i'm certain Nice. Mitch, are you satisfied? I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with that take because I like. <laughs> I was kind of. I never look at your letterbox reviews. I'm always like. I'm always. I like to be surprised, or I like to. I like to get it on the show and get it live. But, I mean, I. I think we have different. Uh, d- different views about. Oh, uh, Mitch, you have to sure. go next. You have to go now. Now. Okay. <sighs> I opened the door a bit, but yeah. So I. This is my second time around with this one. Um, some might call it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, Part Two. Some might, but I'd say that's bad. That's bad <laughs> copywriting. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call it that. No, just might be you, Corey. Just you. Anyway, so um, it's it's not my uh, not my thing, and I found myself looking at the clock as it was going on. I think those logical errors, like they were clear to me at the start, but. I think like one of the things that I struggle with the most is just like motivations. Like why is Dennis Hopper doing what he's doing and why yeah. like, yeah. is like that his whole character is just sort of stupid. I feel like he only really exists to get in like a sword fight duel at the end. Um, I really found like the whole sort of ensemble cannibal cast and the guy with like the, the steel plate in his skull, just insufferable. I hated every moment when he's on the screen. And I, I suppose that's the point, but I just didn't enjoy like spending time with the characters or I wasn't intrigued by them or fascinated by them. Like in the original, I just thought that they were kind of annoying. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I like it. And I liked it the first time I saw it because I thought it was a bold, like a big swing, like you said, but the second time around, I, I didn't really have any fun with it at all. And it might've just been, I was not in the right space. Like I watched it in the middle of the afternoon, but yeah, I didn't it didn't do anything for me. Round second time around. I mean, I watched this movie in the morning, so I think, you know, we're really <laughs> in the gambit of times of day you can watch this. So now now we got to know how you felt about it. So I was curious partway through the movie and I went to Letterboxd and I just looked at like what the average scores were 
and they skewed way, way higher than I thought they were going to. And I, I was surprised by that because it made me feel like I was missing something. Not because I think it's bad, because I don't. Um, I would absolutely like to get on the train of maybe I wasn't in the right mood. Um, <laughs> okay. Like, I don't know. I was tired. It was early. It was the only time I had to watch it. It's what it is. Um, But I, I can sympathize with both of your perspectives here. Both the, I'm looking at the time. When will I escape this nightmare? And also it doing an earnestly good job of being a weird kind of nightmare. Of course, it's it's eschewing some of that style on purpose. But if you go to Letterboxd and like read people's high scoring reviews, um, there's a bunch of fascinating takes in there that just hadn't really crossed my mind while I was watching it at all. And how so? I don't know. Uh, I mean. I don't want to start reading letterbox okay, reviews okay. at us. But like did um, anything jump out at you or anything that you weren't thinking about that suddenly like a like a light turning on? Uh-huh. Let me read the first bit of the letterbox review from Willow McClay, who is uh, a writer that I actually really like. Um a real burn it all down film where everything that was utterly realist and startling startlingly blunt in the 1947 original is blown up into extravagance and garish excess mirroring the corpse of a post Vietnam war in America reanimated through Reaganomics an insane fucked up movie where even the casting of Dennis Hopper whose cinematic image is easy rider is reincarnated as a vigilante cop. Everything that Toby Hooper does here is deliberate and every single person who tries to survive is rammed up against one another and made objects like that of a chainsaw on another chainsaw as their tearing of flesh doesn't even feel so horrible anymore because it's all been numbed out and turned into meat and statistics. Quote, the small businessman always gets fucked in the ass, becomes the only logical point of reference, and even he has built a monument to his own capitalist success of blood and bile. This is the Disneyland version of the 1974 film, complete with its own splash mountain and a chance for you to take your own picture as Leatherface. I ended up reading the whole thing, but that's really great. A lot of the reviews touch on things like that, both like the thematic pivot that happens because 12 years had passed and how you get an aesthetic change from that also, Mm -hmm. but also just getting like, it felt like as I watched this movie, it felt like it wasn't a movie that was going to get me intellectually to that place anyway, which is why I feel like I missed something. And that makes me want to watch it again. However, I can say a few things at face value, which is, um, I think I have a bit more space for, the Sawyer family themselves, but it definitely can get a little bit much. Those, the metal plate man and the <laughs> screaming at Leatherface. Um, it's a difficult thing to quantify. I, I was getting kind of tired in the first half, and then the second half goes fucking crazy. <laughs> um, and that second half is really fascinating for a lot of a region, a lot of reasons, including but not limited to how great it all looks. Great sets, yeah. Oh, they shot yeah. they shot those in a, in caves, Lit, in, like literal caves, actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Apparently. I was I was wondering. I said to Brianna. I I said, um, 
I wonder if this is a set and if it was like a cozier set than the first one, because there's all sorts of stories about that first movie, how they were actually shooting, you know, in a house in Texas and hot lights are burning down on rotting yeah, food and stuff. Wave. And so I was wondering if this, if the whole cave layer thing was a set and it, like AC and it was much more cozy, but if it was actual caves, then maybe not. Um. Also, really quick, I just want to get in another equally valid letterbox review from Robin, which says, I cannot get enough of watching Dennis Hopper go to town on all that wood. That is kind of funny, like how he's just <laughs> chopping it. And, and almost, I don't know if you've you watched Vic Berger on YouTube or, or like any of his work, but like the way that no. that sequence is cut looks like it could be right from his like sort of suburban Americana nightmares that he puts on the internet. I got to say, I Mitch, I feel like I, I get the Dennis Hopper character. Uh, you his, you get his, his motivations like and like, his family what? members were killed by that family with chainsaws, so he's gonna go fuck up that family with chainsaws. But like it's very underdeveloped. I don't know. I don't. Uh, but that's all it is. Like that's it. There it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not like scratching for something more, but it, it, at the same time, it doesn't really. I think this movie's got plenty more in it, and I'm sure there's a way to look at it that gets more out of it. But sure. Um, as evidenced by these letterbox reviews, which absolutely baffled me the first time that I saw them. But like, yeah, it's an absolutely, it's a fucking crank it up to twelve. In a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of the next generation in that yeah. capacity. And it's it's kind of um, interesting because like the the chainsaw as an object and as like a as like a piece of iconography within the franchise is treated with the same sort of like deference as as like a lightsaber in Star Wars. Like it's it's like look at this holy killing tool. You will have three of them, and you oh, will yeah yeah and you will train with it, and it will be filmed, you know, like fetishistically from every angle, and I and, don't know. And, yeah, that and that's like furthered um, by when Dennis Hopper goes to a literal chainsaw store where they have <laughs> pieces of wood that you can test chainsaws on, and there's chainsaws hang hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, and he just walks in and picks up chainsaws and kind of like tests, like he just like kind of holds them in his hand, checks out the weight, and the chainsaw store owner walks back and uh, s to see if he can help the dude. And Dennis Hopper doesn't say a word to him, just checks out these chainsaws. And then, like, is kind of swinging them around and stuff and using them. And the, the chainsaw shop owner, there's just, like, a bunch of, like, close-ups on his face of trying to fig figure Dennis Hopper out. But the whole sequence is is really without yeah. dialogue. And then it, it climaxes in Dennis Hopper trying out the chainsaw on the wood outside just maniacally. And I thought that was, like, great visual storytelling. I, I, love, I love that sequence that, like, it... It has that sort of like Twin Peaks, like sort of strangeness to it. But also uh, because they had established in the scene before that his uh, niece and nephew were killed in the original massacre. Uh, I could understand like what he was doing and why he was so unhinged. And uh, so I, I think that's a great sequence. But it also it really is like I think very intentionally so playing up the icon of the chainsaw that has come from that first movie as a lightsaber and so i think that's that's a great scene where it's like where it's uh showing that comedy horror sort of thing i mean the scene isn't meant to scare you but it is sort of like a serious weapon getting moment but also it's just so ridiculous that you've got to laugh at it so much of this feels like the weird pull between this is just being wacky and off the rails and there's something here 
what is it? And trying to figure out like what that other reading is is something that I want to try to do, but I just don't really know how. Um, because you, you get kind of distracted by how fucking off the goddamn rails everything is. Um, also, how fucking common were f- car phones in 1986? Everybody's got a goddamn car phone. <laughs> I know, right? I <laughs> guess that that was the big year of the car phone. Big year. Um, I would like to say that this is exactly what working in radio is like. Just as a quick yeah, aside, Corey. Uh, yeah, I, okay. I gotta know because one of okay. the big uh, issues I I had with the script this time um, that it, I don't think had occurred to me before, and if it had, I guess I had forgotten because there's just so much big wacky stuff in this movie that it, it that's what I think of when I think of this movie. So maybe this will fade away as well. But while well, it's on my mind, so when the teenagers call in on two separate occasions to stretch his radio station and they're messing with her and just like rambling on and swearing and stuff. And she's telling them to hang up. Um, and then her producer is trying to figure out how to cut the call and he can't figure it out. Uh, like, okay, that's, I guess I'm going to take the wind out of your sails here real quick. Yeah. Um, that's just an old phone. I think, I think it's just an old shitty phone. Um, if people like, the phone that we have has five lines on it. So like multiple people could call it once. So a, that wouldn't be a problem. And uh, if, if you hang up, the call just ends. I have no reason to believe that if she had hung up, the call wouldn't have also just ended. But my guess would be maybe if they didn't hang up, somebody else couldn't dial the number, but I, I'm chalking that up to a technology problem. Yeah. Like uh, that, that, that's what I'm wondering. Like, couldn't even if it was just an old phone with one line on it couldn't she have just hung up and then that that would end it maybe but also maybe not i don't know they needed it for the movie (laughs) okay Um, if if it's just they need it for the movie i'm assuming it's that that, uh but yeah no people uh people with chainsaws break into our studio all the time um it's a real menace what do we think of that sequence like was uh, for parts of it it was kind of like suspenseful and terrifying but i think it kind of degenerated like a lot of the stuff in this movie oh and i think i think that's the point though yeah because it overstays its welcome i think is the biggest problem i think it intentionally does. what do you mean degenerated mitch like it stopped being effective or like yeah i think it stopped being effective was it the part when he started throwing all the records around uh (laughs) it's sort of that part i think it's also like the weird part how they try to establish I didn't really care much for like the romance that they try to. I'm saying ro- um, I'm using like parentheses because it's mm, not. Yeah. Um. I wouldn't even. But like they, like I guess I shouldn't say I the mean, romance, they're, they're but his attraction. So, well, I mean, they're saying that up so they can do that whole like phallic chainsaw bit. No, but there's it like ties into dialogue later. Like it does. Faces relationship with the family, and like you have one choice: sex or the saw. And the yeah. saw's family. And nobody yeah. knows what sex is. Never heard of it. I mean, so. they they say that, yeah. But and I I see that, but I I don't particularly. I don't know. I don't think that. I think that like once it kind of got into that, I just didn't. I I wasn't really here for it. And by then, that whole sequence had already gone on really long. And I don't like yeah. the the tin plate guy. I just I was kind of. I kind of like tin plate guy, but it comes and goes. Also, nah. I believe his name is Chop Top. It is yeah. Chop Top. I yeah, think he's, I think he's insufferable. I mean, again, on purpose. Though. On purpose, but it doesn't make. Yeah. I, I just. I don't say that has to make you like it, but. 
they did do it on purpose. Oh no, it's definitely deliberate. It's deliberate. It's not like they're trying to make him a charming guy, but um, yeah, not not fun. Yeah, um, for me, the radio sequence. It, it's my favorite sequence in the movie. It's what I think of when I think of huh. this movie. Um, it's what I think of too when I think of it as well. But huh, yeah. that's and, weird. And, and well, it really, it feels like the movie is basically two sequences to me. It's the radio sequence and then basically everything in the layer, and that's what the movie feels like. And to me, the radio station sequence is like much more uh, uh, scary to me. Why were you saying it's weird, Corey? Um, because I would, I mean, if somebody asked me to name a sequence from this movie, it's, it's, it's the fucking carnival caves. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that like, stuff, uh, instantly that, that stuff, I mean, definitely number two, but <laughs> I think, I think the radio station sequence is like, like peak horror movie stuff to me, like legitimately scary first, like just that idea of you're in a place that you think is safe to you especially in these texas chainsaw movies where what's been established so far in the first movie is that you have to go to the evil person's lair you step on their turf and then they come for you but in this movie you you get the indication from the opening scene when leatherface is in a car that okay maybe something different is happening here but um when she's in a radio station and she comes across this super weird dude in the station that feeling of just like there's someone in your personal bubble, in your personal space, and you don't know what to do. You know that there's something off about them. So you can't just tell them to leave because things could turn south really quickly. But also, you know, if they stay, things are also likely to turn south really quickly. So I just like immediately, I feel that tension. Um, And I also go back and forth on Chop Top as to like when he's working and when he's not because he's just so over the top, like a clearly just like a a caricature of like this dude is creepy doing weird things. And so occasionally um, it comes across as brilliant to me. Like when his his hair is first knocked off of his head and you first see the metal plate and then you and then you see him scratching the coat hanger into into uh, the skin of his metal plate. And just a pr- deeply upsetting tick to have. Yeah, yeah, and and awful. and and prior to that, you see him lighting the coat hanger and putting it to his head, so that's already creepy. But then, like, you're, now you're seeing the payoff that, like, holy shit, he's just the skin is all gone from one side of his head, and it's metal under there. Like that is intensely creepy, and I don't know how they thought of that. Like that is nightmare stuff to me. But but he's the actor Bill Mosley, who is uh, really iconic in the horror genre because he's in um, Rob Zombie's trilogy, playing a bad dude, um, very much inspired by Chop Top and Texas Chainsaw in general. And so he he does this role; it's kind of his thing. Um, and uh, at, at times, it just like it feels it's so creepy that it occasionally stops feeling real to me. I think the first movie very much feels real. All those villains feel like, okay, I could come across this somewhere and, uh, and uh, these people would be like that. This dude, he's a, he's a bit more extra, you know, he's the hitchhiker from the first movie, but turned up even farther. And so um, it, it works for me 
most of the time, but sometimes it doesn't. But like the fact that she's just stuck in this radio station with him talking and he's like, give me a tour. And she says, okay, I'll give you a tour because like, she feels like she has to, I could totally see that happening to me with like, someone says that and you're like, okay, I guess I got to go along with it. Hopefully this will appease them. And so she's pointing out all these little things to him. She's not walking him through the station at all. She's just like picking up stuff from a desk and he's like kind of responding to each of the things like that. All that feels so real to me. And Mr. Shark. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah, like, I oh, yeah, I, I like Mr. Shark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and all of that uh, culminates, you know, it's not the end of the radio station sequence, but like it's the big explosive part when Leatherface comes out of that radio station closet with the chainsaw I I think that I think that is the best jump scare in all of I will say it got me so hard but it didn't feel cheap but you just had no reason to think Leatherface would be in there. Exactly. Oh yeah. But of it course. doesn't feel like a ripoff. And and the scene goes on so long that like even if you noticed that there's a dark shadowy closet between them, and the way it's the way it's shot, you you don't actually clue into it all that much. Like it's not like it's just your classic still shot where you have time to think, okay, they're framing it that way because something's coming out. No, they stay around that closet for a long time, and you have multiple shots of uh, close-ups of them. You're seeing the closet from like different angles and stuff. So it really just and it goes on for so long that it feels natural. And every time I watch the movie, I can never predict exactly when he's going to come out of that thing. And it's just so loud and uh, freaky. And so like that, the whole movie is basically worth it for that jump scare for me. And then you just get like total destruction of him bursting through walls, like the Kool-Aid man. Like I love that. That, that shit. one's interesting because I don't understand the geography of the space, but I don't care at all. <laughs> yeah. Like how could that have possibly happened when it's fucking cool as shit? It's true. Yeah, that's true. And I like, I like that the radio station is confusing anyway because the building it's in there it's like there's a sign for it's a like gun a shoe shop box. and then they go up like fire escape stairs to get there it is a shoe box yeah like turned on its side and then in the radio station sequence we get chop top just like beating the shit out of our boy lg her producer with the hammer for he, so long he lives somehow <laughs> <laughs> he does yeah um and not only which, that but he's like he has like consciousness yeah yeah and it's um oh that like him flailing and stuff like they didn't they clearly made a conscious decision to not put effects of like him getting his head beat in because that's been done in movies before and i know tom savini could do it but instead they just they keep him as he is but they just splatter a whole lot of blood and let his acting do the rest of the work and i really think that it it works it just like and it goes on for so long that even if it doesn't feel realistic to how it would be in life it feels it ends up it ends up feeling realistic in the world of the movie and i'm not laughing at him getting hit in the head even though it doesn't realistic look realistic like it it just it ends up feeling real regardless and so that whole radio station sequence like it is so unsettling entirely i love the pacing of it i love the big payoffs within the scene and um and even like lecherous leatherface like that's st that stuff is just like so 
scary to me. I'm not sure I quite understand it all, but it's super, super scary. And uh, so that that sequence is really that's the movie for me. I also think um, the big thing, too, is that the whole movie, especially in the second half, uh, when you get into the more traditional aspect of it, by which I mean you got trapped in a place with a weird family that eats people and likes chainsaws. Um, that stretch is just playing it perfectly straight because it is terrifying and it would be terrifying. And I think that her performance is doing a great job of like grounding a bunch of otherwise extremely weird shit. Um, grounding to an extent, obviously, like she gets a dude's face put on her face. Like, um, oh yeah, and she says it's wet. Yeah, which is <laughs> gross. But uh, I really liked her anchoring that because, like, that whole nonsense carnival cave place they live is so wild that, like, it's it's like raw experience. It's not even worth like attempting to wrap your head around. It's just this weird, like, Disney vomit nightmare. <laughs> Um, and it's a really fascinating place to like look and see a bunch of stuff that had previously been relegated to like dingy dining rooms. Um, really, just go fucking bananas. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were they worked hard in the last thirteen years. Hey, eh? also has Grant. Why does Grant? Why does it always end with Hey, Grandpa? We're gonna let you kill her, and then it never works. I think that's he's all this shit. That he's 137. Comedy. It's tough. <laughs> they always got it. They're family though. They always got to give him a try. You don't, you don't give up on family, Corey. Fast and Furious missing an opportunity for a crossover with the Sawyer family. Maybe it'll happen. I mean, with this remake coming out, maybe. Remake slash sequel, whatever it's going to be. I read once that someone said that they feel all the Texas Chainsaw sequels are basically remakes of the first movie. And I think that's a really interesting I think that this is maybe an exception. Can I use the Wikipedia four different continuities that are listed? Yeah. There's the original continuity, which is one, two, three, and then next generation, and then it stops. And then there's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning from 2006, and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2003. And then there's another alternate continuity, which is Leatherface, the first movie, and then Texas Chainsaw 3D. And then there is... That's the patrician continuity and then there is the texas chainsaw massacre one and then the new movie that's not out yet right and it skips everything so i guess it's doing the halloween thing hey um but yeah well mitch talk about why you think this isn't a remake of the first one because i i feel like it is i mean like i know like technically all the movies are basically it is a sequel but yeah like i feel like this is like it's a remake the way evil dead 2 is where like it feels like the director like reclaiming the original story redoing the original story now that he has more well expertise but he just is tying it into what's already been done because uh, you got to do it i I think i think like structurally and and tonally like it is it is quite a bit different i think like you look at the basic trappings of the original and it's like okay you've got you've got like rural texas buttfuck hillbillies that eat people a, a carnivorous family shirt and you know people entrapped in this sort of um nightmarish hellscape right uh, admittedly it's much more like subdued in the original but um and this one's sort of more more visceral and kind of garish and carnival like but 
I think I think sort of tonally and uh like with how like the the characters work and how you have like an interloping kind of a hero um sort of a character I think I think it, it's it's quite a bit different to me in how it feels and how it looks and ultimately I think how I re- respond to the movie because of all that um I I think uh this one is kind of going uh, to excesses that I don't necessarily think it needs to. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily better for, uh, I think everything about this movie is a bit, is a bit too excessive for me. I think it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just too I, much. I think you're just interested in a different kind of excess than this. I think it's so. fine, but like yeah. aesthetically you're interested in a different kind of, also hold on. We didn't do the cast and crew thing. Can I do that really fast? Sure. <laughs> okay. It's worth mentioning because there's something that I want to tell Mitch. Uh, it, it feels somewhat relevant. So directed by Toby Hooper, obviously. Written by L.M. Kit Carson. Do you know who that is? Uh, not off the no, cuff. Should I talk about him? So they wrote um, the Breathless adaptation with Richard Keir. Well, that's on the list of things we need to watch. Apparently and that's better than the Godard. Wrote, they wrote Paris, Texas, too. Oh, fuck. Paris, Texas, coming from, and then well, this is this is no Paris, Texas. This is I know, like a, but how fucking weird is that? Nightmare dreams. What's Paris, Texas? It's a Vim Vendors movie with um Harry Dean Stanton that is like widely regarded as by many as like it won the Palm Door in 1984. Like yeah, it's, it's like it's, uh, it's many people like it's like one of the best movies ever. I think made. it's 80, 84. The year Something it came like that. Out. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> It is just funny to have those two things juxtaposed next to each other. Uh, yeah, two of the best movies ever, back to back. Toby dude. Hooper also wrote it, and then cinematography is by Richard Kouris, edited by Alain Jakobowitz. And the music is by Toby Hooper again, and uh, Jim Lambert stars Carolyn Williams, Dennis Hopper, Bill Mosley, Jim Sido, Bill Johnson, Lou Perryman. Oh, Elsa, as we mentioned, obviously. Carolyn Williams is in Leprechaun 3. Bill Mosley is in Halloween 2007, which I know Liam will want to mention. Uh, and then there's a few cameos, including uh, Kinky Friedman and Joe Bob Briggs. Hmm, That's there you it. go. There you go. I, I, we forgot to do that. It's been like an hour. Glad we got it out of the way. Yeah, it feels important to acknowledge. It has to be done. It has to be done. Yeah. Um. But I was talking. I was talking about like the excesses of this movie, and uh, it's no the leopard. Well, I mean that is that is like an excessive film, but it's I I think it's um it's more interested in other things rather than the excess. I think the excess is just sort of a. I think this movie is also interested in other things than the excess. Like what? I think the whole point of this movie is like an exploitation film. It's to see how far you can take it. To see like the... the... I, I'm going to defend yeah, my Mitch. not giving an Mitch. answer by saying that I noticed a bunch of shit in the letterbox. Yeah, Mitch, it sounds like you got to check out Letterboxd. Okay. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Definitely an excessive movie. And the reason that... I say it feels like a a remake to me is that it's like it's going for totally different things than the first one. You're absolutely right, Mitch. Like it's not it's not trying to do the same thing as that first one, but it feels like it's like a it's like a re it's like a 
a, a, a different take on the first one of like, we're going to have a gross family that uh, encounters someone and, and that person uh, is scared and then gets slaughtered. And it's just like a, 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 a ghastly leering look at this family. Um, like that's, that's what this one is. That's what next generation is. Um, and I, it's just a unique franchise from what I have seen. I think the only one I have left to see is, is the one right after this. So we'll see where that one lies, but in every other one, um, it, it feels like it's just about like a, a group of whoever, uh, finds this disgusting family and stuff goes down. It's not like, nightmare on elm street child's play friday the 13th where there's like lore building and then that lore often leads to wild places where you can say oh this is the one where like uh um tommy finally faces off against jason or this is the one where jason goes to space or this is the one where nancy comes back and is working at uh a psych ward and then faces off against freddie like this is a franchise where i guess maybe the premise is just like so uh so ripe for a story to be told right around it where like you've just got this disgusting family in texas and so you get you just juxtapose that against your regular old person and you can tell a story about it over and over and over again and so this is just feels like just one of those versions of the story to me and this is like this is the one where it's very excessive you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean like i've never really loved like cinematic universes or, or sort of um and I'm probably on the wrong show, but but when when like things sort of like uh, I don't when, think that when, means you're when, on the wrong show. I'd when, like to make that statement okay, okay. But also, when, I don't think this is a cinematic universe. But please continue. No, it's not a cinematic universe. But when like you know you kind of um when like alien fights the predator, or when like it's like oh yeah, and like this person is this person's like great great grandson from like this film. Like I don't know. I don't do that. So this, I'm saying that because of that, this might be the franchise for you if we get deeper into right. it. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, yeah. And and because of that, like that'll mean like a good chunk of the movies might not work because like each of them is sort of trying a different thing. But I, it's not a franchise that seems to get bogged down in lore. And so I think it's cool that this is a franchise we're going to come back to because it'll be it'll be interesting to eventually compile all our thoughts on each movie because they all (laughs) do feel very individual i think i'm I'm with you but i think like i think it doesn't get too bogged down with lore except for the fact that that whole cinematic universe like my niece and nephew were killed now i'm gonna get three chainsaws and get revenge like here's the thing the movie doesn't really explain that so you can't blame that on the movie no but i mean like that's like that's like all you really can infer the his methodology right it is it is i don't know i would like to say that um if if you're worried about the 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 excess and the nonsensibility of some of it i have bad news about texas chainsaw massacre the next generation that you may want to acknowledge now before you watch the movie uh because a lot of that (laughs) um matthew mcconaughey is a robot leg like it's a whole fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm barking up the wrong tree talking about excess and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I just I don't know. Yeah, because even I, the first one's like 
excess oh, well, just yeah, in the other direction. It is, it is, but yeah, sort of in like the more of the direction of sort of like you know <laughs> lucidity. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this this is like it's it's a ride. It's like an it's an interesting ride, but it's not one. I've already done it twice, and I feel like that's way too much. Yeah, I will say <laughs> I, do, I do agree that I don't know if I really get what the intent of the weird sexual chainsaw imagery with Leatherface was, but yeah, it's here. fuck that. It's here and it's weird. Yeah, I did the the ending scene when the fell. I keep forgetting his name. The fell with the metal plate when he's chasing uh, Chop Top. I was gonna call him Crop Top. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish my yeah. favorite eighty horror movie trope. If yeah. he had a crop top. Let's yeah. go. Number one Migos song is Raindrop Chop Top. I you know the, that hit song. The whole ending where he's chasing her up the stairs <laughs> with a straight razor is just so <laughs> so dumb. And then she starts like slashing slashing her a little bit. Yeah, no, not a little bit, like a lot. Like a, a straight I don't know, a straight razor would be a horrible weapon and, uh, and it shows, but um Well he wasn't prepared. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of like the run I used to make when I was a kid, like turning off the the lights in my basement than running as fast as i could like thinking that something was lurking behind me um it's oh, just, it's yeah. just a crop top with a straight razor apparently but yeah and, and so 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 this didn't scare you with that in mind no but i i did make that sort of connection even though i was like wow this is really dumb and then i just started thinking what other things but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I relate to that feeling very much, though. Yeah. yeah, once you get it in your head, right? Like, the second it pops in, then you can't go back, and you're already racing up the stairs. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I made that connection, and then... Uh, how we feel about the ending, where she gets him finally with the chains after he's, like, slashed her uninterrupted for, like, three minutes. Finally, she gets it to start. That must be one thick jacket. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if you're worried about that, Again, barking up the wrong shit. Oh, no, no. Like, I'm, now I'm just being a shit, Corey. But <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just being a bean counter. Like, if you watch a movie like Cinema Sins, especially a movie like this, you're just watching it we, the wrong we're, way. We're on record on this show as saying, fuck Cinema Sins. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, so. I like Cinema Sins. It's entertaining, but I mean, like, that's no way to watch a movie. Um, um, uh, I like the ending because she does the Texas Chainsaw thing that we all do, which is spin around with a fun chainsaw. <laughs> that we all do. That we all do when we're home alone. From her, like, <laughs> Conan the Barbarian, Texas. From the top of fucking Splash Mountain. <laughs> Splash Mountain. Like Willow's review said. Yeah. I, I love the shot of Chop Top tumbling down Splash Mountain and directly into, into a, a pipe slide. where he's like clearly sent back into his lair. And so you could... Uh, I'm kind of disappointed to hear that the new Texas Chainsaw is only a sequel to the first one because, okay, I understand Halloween did that because like Halloween 2, maybe not so much John Carpenter vision you want to go back to the original but this was still toby hooper so you got to respect the man and it, tur- it turns out chop top lived his fall back into his lair because he had left like a, a little inflatable pad right beneath that thing i uh specific for this occasion and he comes back yeah i also uh oh, oh yeah this is what you say i like the part where uh the d- the dad gets a chainsaw in the taint and then he hides under a table, oh, and he finds a grenade. And then when he finds the grenade, he proceeds to get chainsawed in the ass and dies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's uh. Apparently, that says something what about like. What more do you need? The that Reagan says era, about right? Thieves. Well, <laughs> it's like he's a small business owner. 
uh, he's complaining that corporations don't pay taxes anymore. Reaganomics. Um, I need to listen more closely to actually get that part of the movie out. But there's definitely actually a lot of commentary going on with what that dude is saying. But he's saying a lot of it like in the background of scenes. I wish that I wish they did more with him. Um, I think it would be interesting to sort of see what he's doing with this his chillier to kind of like, I think, develop. I'm not interested in what he's doing with his chili because it's a bunch of bodies and that's gross. Yeah, but I mean, so so is everything else in this movie. A guy that wants to eat a body? (laughs) I mean, like, there's already plenty of cannibalism in this movie. Like, gross. No, I know. Why do you draw a line there? I think it would have been more interesting to sort of see what he's doing or perhaps like how he's being fucked or I think it might have been with a a, chainsaw. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm talking more about Ronnie Rags, but. Well, um, he complains about uh, when he gets a call on his phone. He's yeah. like complaining about like a rival restaurant or something. Yeah, he, he says, was it the burrito person that made you yeah. do this? Like, yeah. It was so weird. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I wish they did more with Dennis Hopper as well. True. I, I'm I'm with Mitch there, where like. I think the novelty of him just wielding chainsaws, because that's basically all his character ends up adding up to. He like he's he's cutting down beams in that place for so long. Like that letterbox person said, they could watch him do it forever. And I felt by the time that I got to the end of this movie, and I guess if this is my third or fourth watch, like I've now spent collectively like maybe like an hour or two just watching him cut down beams and i feel like that is now too much the novelty of him doing that has worn off even though um it is like a really cool image and i just wish that there was some sort of climax for that character that was a bit more uh I think like just on the nose as to as to what's going on. I actually don't think Dennis Hopper has that much to do in this movie. I think the 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 commentary and just like the the uh, terror that is mined from Stretch's character in relation to the family really works out because we spend that time with her like in the radio station in the lair. But I think Dennis Hopper he sort of just feels like this little. Uh, ends up being relegated to like a a, a c plot yeah. or something like what even happens to him in the end it's just the, the the focus just moves away from whatever he's doing it doesn't matter that's right yeah i wish i wish like, it didn't hap- because yeah. he's set up to be much bigger and it doesn't end up happening and so like if we're talking crazy texas chainsaw performances yeah. i would take matthew mcconaughey and any day because he feels like a a real dude that is just s- unhinged but dennis hopper just doesn't quite hit and the and the dennis hopper should be a good casting decision and he does play a very good i do think it is a good casting well i think i think he is but i I just don't think he's necessarily like they don't they don't give him a lot i think it is a good casting i'm going to take that back but he's just he just doesn't do a lot and i i am really sort of irritated by the fact that like he's just like dueling with leatherface in the basement and then that's like the last we see that's what a way to go yeah like especially because of he died at least least kill him or something like yeah especially because of the final shot like i think this movie ends up showing that it's way more interested in the stretch character and so i guess like at that point you know i guess what are you gonna do like you can't cut all of dennis hopper's scenes out but um i do wonder if there was some sort of uh um creative uh 
creative like schism a little schism (laughs) between between toby hooper and and the paris texas writer because i i thought every time i've watched this movie until this time um i thought that toby hooper was the sole writer of this movie i had no idea it was written by someone else and so that does make me wonder that okay maybe the issues that i have with this movie might be because they're coming from a different person like some of the 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 script writing here like just in in terms of motivation with dennis hopper in terms of motivation with like why stretch would uh go follow the family to their lair i understand that she's like an aspiring journalist and she really wants the story this is her big break so i guess i i sort of understand why she's initially following them but then she ends up turning uh really quickly and she's just terrified and um it it just like that is sort of confusing to me and so i i wonder where uh toby hooper's interest really uh lied and if it was if it was like outside of the dennis hopper character or something i think this is a really strong movie in terms of like direction and set design and all that stuff like toby hooper kills the the radio sequence and the uh and the setting of the the layer and like yeah, the, gram- the grandpa is, scene i agree is, with that yeah the grandpa scene i think is is good because that's like his his little family that he's created and stuff but i think the the dennis the dennis uh hopper, hopper. right hopper we got a hooper and a hopper i'm confused dennis hopper that character he just kind of seems to get lost in the mix and i don't know i don't know how intentional that is mm. yeah it's an interesting question one that I do not have the answer to currently. I'm definitely curious to see it again um, because there's a lot to like and a lot, I think, more to potentially offer. Um, but yeah, I still I sit weirdly with it still. Um, yeah, that's kind of all I've got. It's it's a movie where there's a lot to say, but like I feel like I'm not prepared to say any of it yet. If that makes sense. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, we gotta we gotta start watching these movies a month in advance. <laughs> you guys seen the poster for this bad boy? I have. It is yeah, quite, it's, it's quite really a good. It's yeah, really really yeah. good. It's that like is that is one amazing. of the best parts of the movie is the fact that the poster looks like it's for a sitcom. Yeah, it's it's a it's a little uh, spoof for the Breakfast Club, but it's just incredible. Oh fuck yeah, it is. Jesus Christ. I didn't... Yeah. The thought hadn't crossed my mind, but now that you've said it, it's so blatantly and transparently. Oh bad. yeah, we even got Leatherface doing his little fist pump. I know. I I this movie as I really I do I like the ending where it's uh Stretch doing her chainsaw thing because like she's finally gone from like being so scared to just like doing what Dennis Hopper like wanted to do and getting the chainsaw and and reclaiming that power and stuff. Dennis Hopper did stick a chainsaw completely through Leatherface. (laughs) Yeah, but he didn't do the dance, so he wasn't entirely fulfilled. (laughs) Or he wasn't entirely angry, because I think when when Leatherface does that dance, he might not be fulfilled. He doesn't seem like a very fulfilled guy. But um, yeah, when we... I I really do like that last shot. I think it's very striking. But looking at that poster makes me wish that the final shot of this movie was a Leatherface fist pump freeze frame like that would be amazing (laughs) that would have been really good don't you forget about me imagine dude oh my gosh
Wow. Maybe that's how we should end this podcast. Wow. A freeze frame with all our fists in the air. If you like yeah. the if you like the chainsaw duel, just wait until the duel we're gonna get next week, fellas. Ooh. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. What, I guess what we could duel is that? that? Yeah, Mitch, do you want to tell us what we're watching next uh, week? so at long last we're watching The Prisoner of Zenda. Uh, oh, I never the heard from, of that. The one from the 50s. Uh, Liam, that's patently false. It's a, it's a great one. It's a great movie. Uh, what kind of genre would you describe it as? Oh, it's a swashbuckler from like the, the classical period. Late arg. classical period. Yeah. Oh, no, no. This is an arg. This is like this is a, a very refined affair. There's no ships in this one. Well, excuse me. Pardon so this, me. So this is a remake from the 50s of an older movie that is also based on a book? Yeah, so it's a book from the 1890s, and it's been adapted at least four or five times. Um, but you've got like your biggest one was in the was in the late 30s, I think. I think in 37, and it has uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and a bunch of other people, like a really big cast. Uh, this one came next, and it has uh, like Deborah Kerr, James Mason, um, and Stuart Granger, and uh, then it was remade again, I think in the. It, well then it sort of it's been i think in the 60s and then it also had one in the 70s with peter sellers um and it's been sort of also like referenced and within like movies at the great race it's a it's a hell of a movie um it's just like a classic sort of hollywood adventure film um but it's a good one i'm excited i like adventure films we're adventuring out of our wheelhouse for sure so i think that'll be interesting to finally get to that kind of movie for us um, so we've checked off tradition. Now we're taking a history lesson next week. Um, but before we do that, Mitch, do you have anything you want to plug? Eh, no. Well, we got a verbal response that time, so something's changed. In between season season three, baby. <laughs> I, I will not cut it out. Season three, baby. <sighs> Fuck the bit. It, I no, fucked the bit. You're evolving the bit. Mitch wanna, is gonna you break into your house. Take? Do you want to do a clean take? No, just keep fucking going, man. I can't no, no, no. It. no, 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 no. Just, just, just do it. Just, just wrap up the fucking show. <laughs> okay, Liam, do you have anything you want to plug? Fuck. You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterbox. My username is Graham the Mallow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can go listen to the other show that I do, MK Podcast, with our friend Neil, where we are in the midst of watching a cartoon that's not even directly Mortal Kombat related because there's this big, weird four-part crossover about a, a guy in an orb. And uh, we're watching, I think, the Street Fighter cartoon or maybe the Savage Dragon cartoon, but whatever it is, MK Podcast, everywhere you can find that stuff. And uh, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. It's the first of season three. We're really excited to get down to a new year and see what delights and horrors await. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, on Letterboxd at TMAO, and They Made Another one on all the podcast services, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, etc. You can reach us via email at TMAOpodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what your radio dj name would be because i think stretch is a pretty good one mine would be gape gross okay uh <laughs> our fantastic thumbnail art is done by jade dickinson who you can find on instagram at jade sketches and on that weird note 
we're buckling next week, fellas. Man, I'm a complete failure. Oh, they made another one? Don't.